Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past, present and emerging of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, um, 855am and 3cr.org.au. The time is 7.01am. It is a public holiday, so if anyone out there is awake, good on you, really, because... (laughs) I mean, doesn't everyone else really want a lion? I know I want a lion. I feel like half my brain's asleep right now. So anyway, you are in the studio today with me, Zoya. We have George. We have Anya. And we have Ayan. So we are a full complement of 3CR people today. No one took a little cheeky sick day and went down to the beach or anything like that. Wow, and that seems I, really pointed. I know, <laughs> I know. Well, I, I know for a fact that Anya was, uh, was someone was a, a little a little friend of Anya's was trying to tempt her away. You were thinking about it. For, for a weekend away. I think he scored. Isn't that what matters? And <laughs> <laughs> you said you weren't going to dob me in. Well, no, no. If I was going to dob you in if you went away. Oh, true, true. And yeah, now yeah. I'm talking about your incredible willpower. Mm. And you stayed because you are so committed to mm. Tuesday breakfast. So, yeah, yes. you know, well done. Well done, Anya. You are better than all well, of us. Thank, thank you, you for gracing us with your presence My this pleasure. morning. Anya. Anytime. Every week. <laughs> for the rest of your life. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the time is seven o'clock. We have a pretty, we have a good show coming up, but a nice, like, relaxed, chill public holiday show, yeah. which which will which will be quite nice, I think. And I guess a couple of themes because we're sort of we're mm. obviously going to be talking about Melbourne Cup Day. We'll be talking a bit about Chile and also Blockade iMark and sharing some audio that yeah. Zoe and I recorded from the from one of the earlier days of the blockade. Yeah. So I guess, I guess if we move backwards ish. Um, yeah, we, George and I, after Tuesday breakfast last week, went down to uh, Blockade iMark and attended uh, quite, well, basically all the speeches on that first Tuesday, right after the live crosses that we did. So we picked up a bunch of content and, yeah. We're gonna play. We're gonna play some of that. Yeah. So hopefully you can stick around for later in the show. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that'll be that'll be pretty decent. If you were listening before seven o'clock, you will have heard uh, the radioactive show. Fantastic, fantastic show that's on before us every single week, and they were playing quite a bit of content from that as well. So if you're really into picking up all your blockade iMark sound and content, um, listen back to their show online. And, uh, yeah, you should be able to get a few bunch of things from that. Um, other than that, we have at 7.45, um, Nick from Freedom of Speci- Species is going to come along and speak to us about um, horse racing, about the Melbourne Cup, about, you know, the reasons why so many people are boycotting it and that 
and that kind of thing. Uh, before that, we're going to play some uh, Vox Pop, some Vox Pops that George and the fabulous Lauren, our secret silent co-host partner, <laughs> who unfortunately can't present anymore, but does some wonderful behind-the-scenes work. Hi, Lauren, if you're listening. No, um, <laughs> she's always listening. Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Anya is Lauren, so shady. Lauren, I love if, it. If you're listening, message us and we'll find out. Is there anybody <laughs> to out prove it. <laughs> prove your loyalty Lauren, to prove us. your worth. <laughs> Anya's proven her loyalty. It's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, this is getting intense, this show, I feel. <laughs> it's it's going to end up with all of us like doing some kind of blood pact. I'm <laughs> real salty about turning in for a, um, for a public holiday. Um, but anyway, at, at 7.30, we will have Lauren and George um, with some Vox Pops that they got last year about um, going out on the street, talking to people about the Melbourne Cup. And um, I think it's still really, really relevant this year, maybe even more so considering the fact that more and more people are starting to realise the complexities behind the Melbourne Cup. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But up first. Yes, up first. My friend Fonz shared a really important piece of history from Anticonquista, and I thought I would read it out because we will be talking about Chile today and just a bit of background that might kind of frame the discussion that's yeah. happening later on. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just read this now. On this day in 1970, Salvador Allende took presidential office in Chile after being elected. He was the first Marxist to be elected leader in Latin America. A former doctor who became a politician after being radicalized through his encounter with his encounters with injustice. Allende is remembered for his dedication to social justice for all members of society. While in power from 1970 to 73, Allende nationalized several key industries. His plan was called the Chilean Path to Socialism. It not only involved nationalization of key industries, but also free education for those in need, universal health care, and land redistribution. In Chile, Allende made great advancements. Internationally, he was allied with fellow liberation movements throughout the world. After taking office, one of the first things Allende did was recognize the socialist government of North Vietnam at the time of the U.S. invasion of Vietnam. In Latin America, Allende developed a close relationship with Castro and socialist Cuba after it had only recently been blockaded by the U.S. Globally, he was a leader and ally for all socialist movements. Salvador Allende's vigor and dedication to socialism threatened U.S. imperialist interests, particularly when their industries were nationalized. In 73, the U.S. would back a coup by General Augusto Pinochet, which would leave Chile under a military dictatorship for years. Rather than be captured, Allende killed himself. We commemorate Salvador Allende not only for his commitment to socialism, but also for his passion in caring for the workers and poor of his country, something which one could die for in this capitalist society. Today, Chileans continue to struggle against the harsh austerity measures of the IMF and an increased cost of living. While this is happening, exploitation gets worse and inequality between rich and poor expands. During this struggle, Allende's legacy stands out as one we could learn many lessons from. So thank you, Fonz, for sharing that. Mm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And as George said, it does tie nicely to an interview that I did with um, Pilar. And Pilar is one of the four oh, members. Yes, I yeah. love Pilar. Yeah. 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 That's one of my favourite. No, <laughs> if Fonz is listening, he's going to... 
kill me for pronouncing yeah. it. So, um, la- is it la- I think last week or this week, the episode that they're doing, it's all in English for the first time. Mm. Usually it's Spanish. So it's a, it's a, it's a mix though. Like they mix it up. You can still listen oh, into the show. Okay. And just, you get bits of English and yeah. Right. Cause, yeah. Cause when I interviewed Pilar, she was like, we're doing a special so people know what's going on yeah. um, in Chile. So I did an interview and it's just basically like a one-on-one on what's happening in Chile and how it started, the issues, and what can be done. So Pilar is coming on, but you can catch her show. Um, so it's her and four others, Marta, Grace, Gabriella, and Anai. It's on every Wednesday, it's so good. 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. So definitely yeah. catch that. So we'll play that interview, I, I don't know when, but soon, hopefully. So Cool. I'm really yeah, excited listen to hear in that. for that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to hear that interview because you played an excerpt from that um, on, uh, well, we, we have an excerpt from it on our Instagram feed and it's it sounds like a, it's a really, really powerful interview. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, very, very excited See, to hear I had, it. I had no idea she, uh, Pilar had been with 3CR for so long. She's been there mm. since she was 17. 17, wow. like, wow. damn, and then she started, incredible. like, translating. Yeah, wow. And um, just what how important doing at 17? it played. <laughs> well, what was I doing? You've made up for it, Anya. Oh, wow. you made okay. up for it. <laughs> so you. you're doing a lot now, and you need to do less. <laughs> at 17, I was just really, really proud that I was able to still wear a pair of Converse that I held together with safety pins because mm. the, 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 the soles had separated away, but I was able to hold them together with safety pins. That was my biggest achievement at 17. I so, yeah, that was great. Not everyone can be Pillar. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But in other alternative news, um, we have some news about the Melbourne Cup. We have some news about the Melbourne Cup. So, obviously, with um, uh, the changing in, the shifting in um, uh, sentiment, I suppose, in Australia about the Melbourne Cup, Taylor Swift, for example, boycotted or was isn't mm. attending the cup uh, to perform because <laughs> of protests and all of that. Yeah. So there was, you know, some, some pressure actually pushed a large international artist not to attend. There's clearly a, starting to be a, a shift in movement, partly because of the um, report that came out that the ABC did about abuse of horses in abattoirs and all of that. So there is a... Um, a, an expectation that at the cup today there's going to be a large number of protesters particularly you know with the gr- it seems to be the growth in protesting that's happening mm-hmm. in melbourne at the moment so there's been a report that's come through that um they're going to start using drones to um not only monitor the um, race goers who are expected to come and attend, but also potentially to monitor the um, the protesters. So the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses has planned a protest. And um, there is um, a likelihood that not only are um, Metro Trains of Victoria Police going to use the $100,000 that they have spent to tighten security to um, just manage the large numbers of people but also use it to um, monitor the activists who are going to um, attend or not attend but arrive at the Melbourne Cup Mm. so there's a little bit of a concern around that I suppose particularly when we consider 
the interactions of things like Peter Dutton, really you know, the Home Affairs Minister, trying to push for um, facial recognition technology to help support police, support police in their um, attempts to um, apprehend certain protesters. Mm-hmm. And when we combine that with some of the activity that was happening in IMARC, at Blockade IMARC last week, where they were using what are called snatch squads, mm-hmm. where groups of between you know five or six police officers will target a single protester in of crowd and go on to them in almost like a pincer-like movement mm. and grab them and pull them away to create this, I guess, for some of them as well, these protesters aren't even, you know, the so-called quote-unquote ringleaders. They're mm. just protesters who are mm. there. And it's creating this culture of surveillance and fear. And by picking out a single person, by going after a single person or using facial recognition technology or using drones, which are able to then capture people's faces and better use facial recognition mm. technology, it's creating this environment, I think, where people are just going to be really scared to go down to protests. Yeah. Because they're no, you're no longer. The point of a protest is that you are a group, you're a crowd, you're not, you're not, you're not an individual. You're the people, and you're the voice of the people. Mm. But if you start being picked out as an individual, how's that going to get people who aren't already in the protest movement, people who aren't already, I guess, you know, for want of a better word, converts mm. to. Mm the importance yeah. of protest. It sends a pretty strong message and really perpetuates this idea that there's something wrong with protesting. Mm, and yeah. if you go out and protest that you're in danger of being, you know, experiencing that kind of violence at the hands of police. Yeah. I'd be really interested to see how police deal with the protesters today. I mean, I'm assuming that mm. pro- protests will happen. But after all the, f- um, you know, the criticisms they've received. Yeah. Or maybe they don't care. Maybe <laughs> this is the message all. they're sending out. Do yeah. they read the critics and go, oh, maybe we need to change <laughs> our behaviour so our I mean, image is a little bit better. You know, have you seen the, the statements that Victoria Police have put out about that, you know, that police who did the white power sign and the other one with the EAD hippie yeah. design? Haven't they, they just defended? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And they've sort yeah. of referred it to their own investigative mm. unit. Police investigating police. Exactly. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so j- just as... All of you were talking. So I had a quick Google of um, right to freedom of assembly and association, um, which is supposed to be one of our human rights um, principles. So on the Attorney General's page, Attorney General Department um, website, it says that the pe- people do have a right to freedom of assembly and association, but they have to engage in peaceful protests. Mm. So... <laughs> And that's one that that's that's been the biggest criticism of the protest that people weren't behaving in an orderly fashion. Mm. So it goes to the heart of the question of protesting. How mm. do we protest? Like protest, the whole purpose of protest is to stop everyday kind of thing. You're mm. supposed to put like a dent in traffic. You're supposed to create um, disorder so people can sort of just like stop whatever it is that they're doing and kind of you know. I guess it's supposed to bring awareness and Mm. put the spotlight on the issue. So this whole, you know, do it peacefully, right? Like, what does that even mean? Mm. So that was interesting. And as you all were talking as well, um, I wanted to see how much it costs. Like, why are police and why is the Australian government so, you know, gung-ho on protecting the Melbourne Cup? So this is a 2017 article in the Sydney Morning Herald. So it says that Australians wagered, get this, $657 million over the course of four days. Mm. Four days. 
So that is equivalent to crowdfunding the annual wages of 5,385 registered nurses. Wow. So oh that, the amount they spent oh in four gosh. days yeah. is the, okay. yeah, the annual wages of 5,000 plus nurses. Oh so this is what's in jeopardy. Yeah. This is what they're trying to protect. Yeah. That's why they have these crazy drones. Absolutely. Not to mention mm. that's just gambling. Yeah. That's not, that's mm. not also the revenue from people traveling down to Melbourne, mm. the cost, you know, the revenue from people Drinking more alcohol on this day, mm. the clothes that are bought. And the spikes in domestic violence after any major and event like spikes in today. Violence. Which, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Not great. So, yeah, there's, there's, like you said, there's, there's, it's a huge, it's a huge, huge, huge industry that they're trying to protect. Mm. And I mean, even, even the prize for the Melbourne Cup is utterly enormous. Um, $4.4 million mm. is the prize for the, for the winner of the Melbourne Cup. The, I remember when yeah. that um, that jockey from a couple of years ago, she was the first woman to win the, mm. you know, whatever, and just being really confused about, I don't know, whether to be happy that a woman finally got there or, you know, upset that she was perpetuating the same sort of, you know, cruelty. And well, maybe well, maybe that's, that's, that's a marker of getting to equality, right, where they sometimes say that <laughs> equality is when you have a mediocre woman leading a, a company, just as, just as likely to have just a mediocre woman leading a company as <laughs> a man um, in the sort of financial space. Perhaps you're just, just as likely maybe to that's have equality. It, yeah. equal, equal animal abusing. We've got, we've got there, <laughs> guys. Seriously. Did, did we mention, sorry, in Queensland, I don't know if you mentioned... Um, that they passed these new like anti-protest laws. Yeah. And one mm. of it is anybody that's caught using, you know, those um, like lock things mm. where they um, lock themselves to lock stuff on like devices. Mm. lock on devices. Yes. Yeah, so anyone that's caught with that will face jail time mm. and um, fines. So, so it, it feels like it's, everything's just clamping down on us. There's all. It's really interesting, right? Like you know. I don't know if you watched Q&A yesterday. I know you did, Ayan. Mm. But, you know, they were discussing about how um, on, you know, one side of the world there are all these, like, revolutionary protests that are happening at the moment, whereas <clears throat> over here it seems like they're clamping down on freedom of speech and turning yeah. into a, a fascist state. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Scott Morrison spoke to the Queensland Resources Council just this last Friday about the IMARC protests mm. um, and said um, there's a threat to the future of mining that's coming from a new breed of radical activism who, who are anarchists and are trying to deny the liberties of Australians. Wow. Um, he told Australian corporations to listen to the quiet shareholders and not environmental protesters who, who, who and I'm quoting from The Guardian right now, who he suggested could shift targets from coal companies to all carbon intensive industries. So, oh, no organizations that want to try and be forward thinking and mm. actually try and make us make mm. make the um australian energy mm. um you know economy future proof but they're you know sadly anarchists progressive and progressivists apocalyptic in tone it brooks no promise it brooks no compromise morrison said it's all or nothing alternative views are not permitted so Basically, I mean, that's this is starting to get and then he references Orwellian language and that kind of thing around how environmental activists. But I mean, this is Orwellian language. Yeah. He's yeah. calling activists anarchists and mm. taking away democracy. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. And also clamping down on social security payments. What is that? 
that's an attack on the poor people. Mm. Yeah. Because who, I mean, you know, obviously reinforces the stereotype that activists are all on social security payments, but also who else is going to protest the state? So yeah. what's this social security payments? Oh, I think Dutton and Scott Morrison have said this like countless times about wanting to cancel, you know, essentially benefits for people caught protesting or yeah. being activists. Yeah. And that's, and then, that's what you're saying, there's that association that environmental activists don't have. Mm. Yeah, know, don't have don't have an economic kind of interest don't or have something. Economic interests, yeah. mm. whether you know, and, and placing that valuing on whether a person is in full time work or mm. not. Yeah. And I mean that that speaks to when George and I went to attend Blockade IMARC and interview people and talk to activists and record the speeches. And as we were talking to one of the protesters, uh, who actually was trying to get in, dressed as dressed as, a, a, as oh, an attendee yeah, and, had, yeah. and had coffee thrown all over them by someone trying to get in. What? Um, yeah. So it was before he was going to be getting in, he was in the blockade and someone trying to get in as an attendee threw coffee all over oh. him. It was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But um, we were interviewing this person about it and someone just walked straight past us and just went, get a job at all of us. And yeah. I, was, I was just... I mean, unsurprised, but also just kind of the level of vitriol, mm. and and it's all that it's all this um, it's that narrative that the government's creating mm. around being anarchists and being this yeah. and being that mm. and remove and talking about um, social security payments and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think uh, I also just wanted to mention um, Laura, uh, who's come on the show a few times. She made a really good point to me the other day when we were talking about this around how we learn about history mm. because just, just we quickly do. Laura Laura is a trade unionist who has been a guest a few times yes um and yeah she she's talking about how we learn about history in schools and and in in education generally when we talk about things we hear that oh in this year the government introduced this and this is how change happened we don't hear about the the activists that made that change happen mm. yeah. and it really made me think like just putting it in that way because we do have this issue what what we're talking about at the moment is that people have this idea about protesting that's mm. a dirty thing and mm. and that that you can't do it it doesn't do anything and mm. you're creating a disturbance like I mentioned mm. you're disrupting everyday life and like yeah. all these kinds of mm. narratives that we hear and I think that very much comes from the fact that we don't understand how change happens and we don't mm. talk about it we don't learn about mm-hmm. the movements the organizations that fought for those changes mm-hmm. we just hear that they're oh great the government you know yeah. and Laura was saying maybe in 40 years time the history books will say the government decided to act on climate change with no mention of the people that pushed yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. no you're right and it, and, it, and it goes to the heart of our democratic rights no not just about the right to like freedom of assembly and gathering and, and so on mm. but the right to hold the government accountable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, yeah. we're, we're holding them accountable. Yeah. That's our duty. And if we yeah. didn't, they'd pass all shit. Exactly. Like, that, that, mm-hmm. that, that, laws. That's democracy. We yeah. vote for them. Yeah. Yes, but you don't just engage every three years that's at a really federal it. level or every four years at a state level. You engage continuously. Because, like you said, Ayan, it's the same thing that if you, if you, if you um, employed a person, for example, or if you um, had, you know, and it, us sitting, us sitting here right now, volunteering at three at three CR and doing a show. If we started doing the wrong thing, we mm. were, were brought in as volunteers. They went, you know, you guys would be great. Okay, you can have a, you can have a show. We just we've chosen you. But if we start doing the wrong thing, if we start coming in and going, oh, actually, let's let's give tax breaks. Yeah, to capitalism everybody. is great. Capitalism is fantastic. <laughs> If we start breaking media laws, if we mm. start doing anything that isn't quite right, then we would 
be sat down they'll be, be, be a talking to mm. uh, you need to start readdressing how you present yourselves on yeah. air and, and these guys get paid shit loads exactly. of money sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the staff are listening today <laughs> so it's it's the exact same thing here if they're not doing the job that we employed them to do or that we engage them to do mm. properly mm. then we can sit them down and have a chat with them and our only way of doing that mm. for people who don't have who don't own a big media company yeah. hashtag Rupert Murdoch <laughs> the only way that we can do that is by protesting yeah. Or by sitting here in a room like this and and speaking to the one person who's listening to, to us the right void, now. yes, to the <laughs> void. speaking to the void. Um, so to the void, we'd like to play a song. Yeah. yeah. Um, so on Thursday night, I went to see my friend Finn play. She's in the band called Blood Moon. They're great. They don't have any stuff online, so I, I can't play them unfortunately. But I also saw this artist. Her name's Arti Jadu. I don't know if any of you have listened to her before. No. Um, she's incredible. Like. Just so good. Uh, I'm going to play some of the earlier stuff because it's more available online. This track is called Shiva.
Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counseling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Programme. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855am. Matthew Fagan Band and Friends presents Earth Show, a rock and classical journey across our living planet. It's a music and visual spectacular celebrating the one planet that we inhabit. Saturday the 9th of November at the Deacon Edge Federation Square. Concert starts at 8pm and an environment symposium, Our Shared Home, is on from 5pm. There's a 40% discount for 3CR subscribers, making your all-inclusive tickets just $33 for adults, $30 concession and $24 for students. Plus booking fee and don't forget to book in with the 3CR subscriber code 3CR20. Go to www.matthew-fagan.com. A 3CR supporter. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. We just heard a really great track from singer Ati Jadu, 
who and that track was called Shiva and she her newer stuff is really really interesting as well it's a little bit different less acoustic-y and more uh, she kind of loops her own singing and she adds kind of like synthy sounds to it but she's influenced by Indian bhajans and chanting in her music she's in, yeah really incredible so it was so beautiful yeah it was that was so so beautiful <laughs> it was so lovely um, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, and I just feel so relaxed and calm after listening to that. <laughs> I, we, I reckon we could just play her for the rest of the show. She yeah, was definitely. <laughs> just utterly, utterly amazing. Um, I think the first time I heard her, was, I was getting into your car, George, and I walked and I got into the car, and I was just like, "Oh, this is just great." <laughs> It was just wonderful. I wasn't I wasn't expecting to walk in and just hear Indian music. I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm back at home. This yeah. is this is amazing. So That's cool. she's yeah, great. And um speaking of lovely sounds and lovely voices, we have, we have a box pop coming up now that George and Lauren recorded last year, the Saturday before the last Melbourne Cup. They went out on the streets. Went and um, hassled people. Went and hassled we people. We were just trying to have a nice time. And we <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so they went out and recorded some voices and... Uh, there was a very clear skew towards what people were saying, and this wasn't going after specific people. This was interviewing a wide range of people. It was whoever would stop and talk, and yet there was definitely still a very clear lean towards what people were thinking. So... Uh, animal doesn't have a voice to consent yeah. to anything like that, yeah. so we should just leave them yeah. alone. They're peaceful beings. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so, yeah, I think first off, you know, horses should be able to run free on their own terms. As soon as you create an industry that's all about money, that's when, you know, they can get away with, like, hurting the animals and stuff, which isn't good. And um, I think it's really unfair. Yeah. I think there's enough animal exploitation as it is when it comes to agriculture and the, the meat industry. Um, and I feel like them using horses and animals for entertainment is just over-exploitation. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's gross. Yeah. I think it's just been an event that's kind of been ingrained into the Australian culture for a very long time. Yeah. Like, I think growing up as a kid, you don't really understand what the whole thing is. Like, you're like, oh, it was just horse racing... And then I think once you're older and you're kind of educated a bit more about the situation, you're like, it's actually kind of a form of animal cruelty, what we're doing. So I think it's really hard to kind of allow people to look at it from both sides because some people are so one-sided about it. So I think that, like, Australia needs to acknowledge that there's two sides to the story and whether or not what side you want to sit on, like, that's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think millennials are starting to see that. I 100%. Like, I was actually talking to this with my sister because she actually wants to study about animals and all that. So she's like, have you ever thought about it as, like, animal cruelty? And I was just like, well, no, I've never really thought about it that way because I've just kind of accepted it as an event that, like, people just go to because it's Australian. That's what Australians do. Because uh, coming from my family where we immigrated from another country, so we're just kind of doing what everybody else is doing because that's Australian. So I don't think until 
you're educated about the situation that you'll really know what you're getting yourself involved in. I mean, Melbourne has so many unnecessary days off, to be honest. We have a grand final day off for not even the actual game, just like for the parade. So, I mean, I just view it as like another unnecessary day off, to be honest. I think I find it kind of interesting because it just reflects about, it reflects how easily humans are, how easily they're manipulative in terms of like, you know, socially we've been brought up to accept horse racing and just see it as like a sport, even though it's not a sport. There's a huge culture around it, like people dressing up and drinking alcohol. That's why I feel like a lot of people go to like, oh, an event. Yeah, they it's like an event. Yeah. 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 So first of all, my name's Tom. I personally, I'm not a fan of Cup Day. Um, I've been raised in Melbourne, uh, lived through all my life. I think it's it's not really good for the welfare of horses and for animals. I think it's pretty cruel. Um, I don't I don't really think that it represents Melbourne for what it really is. I think that horses aren't meant to be raced and they're meant to be loved and that's my opinion on it really. So yeah. Yeah. And so then flowing from that, what are your thoughts on us all getting a day off work? in honour of a um, I really don't believe in a day off for Cup Day, honestly. I'd rather it be taken away completely. I think that it should be just a normal, regular day. Um, and I think that public holidays are meant to be for more important things. For, you know, when, especially in Christmas, you know, families come together, people come together, getting time off for that. Um, the new year as well, it's probably most important, but something as little as, you know, seeing horses race and especially the profits that go to, you know, all the bookies, especially, you know, with gambling addictions and things like that, I think it's, it's pretty unethical, it's immoral, and, and I think that the current government, Victoria, is nothing about it, and, um, yeah, that's why I'll be voting for the current government in the next election, so... <laughs> I don't think we have a right to choose that an animal's cruelty is for entertainment. I forget that it's about the racing so much because they're just they're just like oh going for the fashion and like the food and wine and like you know whatever channels covering it and famous people being there like it's it's it, it's like it it covers up all the all the other stuff if it was just a race and people went and they were like analyzing like horses only then then it'd be much more noticeable how cruel it is like i reckon yeah because i like to start off with it was just horse racing they didn't have fashion shows or anything and i think people started to bring up this whole this is animal cruelty and so i guess like like to kind of like cover that up they'd be like okay let's like check a fashion show on let's check a kids day out family day out event yeah so it's kind of like yeah i think so yeah, it normalizes it. It does. People just start to accept it now. So. I've never been to the race, but I, I guess sometimes I've had like a family or family friend barbecue, sort of like because we have a day off, but it's not really centered around the race. Um, I guess at school and stuff, there used to be like tipping on best, like whatever horse you thought would win, just like encouraging gambling a little bit early I reckon yeah 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 and because 
if they had a voice and they said, you know, yep, race me, then sure, let's yeah, do it. But, you know, because yeah. I think like a lot of like the arguments they might say, oh, horses, they're made to run and everything. It's like, yeah, their bodies are built, you know, they can run and everything. They're really good to it. But it's more so if, you know, you take them out to run yourself, you don't race them. That's when it gets... um. Um, to, to like animal cruelty and stuff because that's when you start exploiting in them and stuff so yeah I think so much fucking money is made yeah. out of it like yeah. it's all about money it's involved money. in money yeah. and it's tied up in politics yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I also hate how gambling is a big part of it yeah, as well money. because because especially people that are trying to like um uh, that have like been addicted to it and they're trying to like recover from it it's all in the like all in the TV ads it's all there like in your face and it's really like it'd be difficult for them as well like um goddamn holiday for yeah for gambling yeah and people are always like oh but I get to dress up and like wear a fancy hat whatever they're called a fascinator or something and I'm just like dude there's there's like 364 days in where you can dress up as well like why use this as an excuse like it's just stupid like and Cup Day is all about profit, it's all about money. Um, there's no glamour to it, absolutely no glamour, and it's also, it's, it's, it's really vile seeing people getting intoxicated, people getting drunk, um, alcohol, all those addictions feel together for Cup Day. It's, it's just, yeah, disgusts me. <laughs> yeah, it makes me sad, and yeah, I really hope one day that it does get changed and it does really get removed. Harding here and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I do always represent. There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio along with music, food and of course free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November Upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to 8.30. See you there. Music uplifting me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio with myself, Anya, Ayan, George and Zoya. We also have a very special guest in the studio with us. Hello, Nick. Hey, good to be here. Uh, Nick, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Nick Pendergrass. I host Freedom of Species on 3CR here. And, yeah, it's great to have some cross-pollination of the shows. I actually heard Madison Griffiths on this show right here uh, talking about veganism and feminism. And then I had Madison as a guest on Freedom of Species, and she's recently joined our team as well. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, you do great interviews. I um, recently listened to the one that you did with... Jess Eisen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, what is your show about? Okay, so yeah. it's an animal advocacy <laughs> show. So we cover, yeah, we definitely have animal advocates on, which I think is quite important because obviously they try and get their messages out through, you know, more mainstream media. You might get a 10-second soundbite or something like that. So mm-hmm. it does give animal activists a chance to get their, um, yeah, speak about their campaigns in more detail, some of the nuances, generally have them on for the whole hour show. Mm-hmm. And also, I guess it's more generally about advocating for animals. We often um, 
analyze current events that are in the happening in the media and sort of have a I guess a pro animal slant on that kind of thing. Also, I guess reflecting on animal activism, what we're doing, what we could be doing better, how we could connect with other progressive movements and, and take on board that sort of intersectionality in our campaigns and how we can um, incorporate opposing racism, sexism, homophobia, all mm. these kind of things into our animal campaigns because it's the right thing to do and also to connect with these other social movements. Uh, and, yeah, just a wide range of different ways we can advocate for animals, even think about, like, pop culture and how that can relate to mm-hmm. animals. We spoke about Sweeney Todd a while ago and some parallel with eating uh, mm. non-human animals and those kind of things as well. So a mm. wide range of different things, but basically trying to advance the interest of animals and, and give a voice to animal advocates. Yeah, and you're here today to talk about the most um, disgusting day of the year, the yeah. Melbourne Cup Day. <laughs> <laughs> what are your personal thoughts about Melbourne Cup Day? Yeah, I am uh, definitely not a fan yeah. and <laughs> haven't been for a long time. And, and I do really feel like things are changing for the Melbourne Cup as well. I think there was, you know, always a, a you know a segment of people who objected to it, and that's definitely been me for many, many years. Mm. But uh, I really feel like it is, it is growing a lot and really reaching a tipping point. I believe last year there was one of the lowest attendances mm. ever, and there's sort of been this decline. But I feel with the 7:30 um, highlighting mm-hmm. um, the slaughter of horses and mystery before slaughter and all these kind of issues, it really has reached a really broad, um, a really broad range of people. So it's not, you know, one token person in the office who might be objecting, but we're seeing whole companies boycott it, and we're seeing, yeah, yeah really, um, yeah, really broad range of people opposing it, and particularly within um, leftist spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, in addition to the radio show on 3CR, I also do a podcast, Progressive Podcast Australia, and mm-hmm. that's more a general lefty kind of podcast, not specifically on animals. So on our Twitter account, for example, we follow a wide range of people, and some are animal advocates, some are more on other social social justice issues, whatever the case may be. And the last few years I've just seen totally negative, like, everyone is criticising the Melbourne Cup. Mm -hmm. And, again, that was the same as your Vox Pops, which you had on this show as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so definitely, yeah, in general, and and particularly in leftist spaces, we're really seeing really widespread opposition to it, which I think is a really positive thing. Yeah, and, I mean, I guess the... um the social media aspect of it has really helped change people's minds. But do you think there's another reason why, you know, there seems to be a general shift in consciousness about how we think about animal liberation and even, you know, Madison Griffiths, for example, linking veganism and and feminism and that sort of um, literature, I guess. What's really brought this on? Well, I think that generally I mentioned the left and animals, and I think that, yeah, again, there have been really, um, yeah, positive moves in that direction, and hopefully even me coming on this show is sort of a slight, that, that sort of um, connection between animal issues and, and left and, and social justice issues. But I think it's something that's sort of been the case for many years, and um, I'm also an academic in this area around mm-hmm. social movements and animal activism, these kind of issues, and there, there's a wide range and growing range of academic literature which shows that those who um, are have high levels of homophobia, sexism, racism, like discriminatory attitudes towards humans mm-hmm. tend to have more anti-animal attitudes and yeah, also anti-animal practices, so higher levels of meat consumption, higher levels of animal consumption. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, those who have um, score lower on those things, so like more likely to oppose homophobia, racism, sexism, sexism etc., mm-hmm. they tend to have more pro-animal attitudes and lower levels.
levels of mm. animal consumption, meat consumption, etc. So I think this is something that's already, it's, uh, I think it's philosophically aligned with our left wing and uh, anti-oppression movements. Mm. And again, I think those, those, um, those gains are really, yeah, those connections have been made on social media. One um, platform I follow a lot is Juice Media. They do the Honest okay. Government ads, which yeah. you may be familiar with, and they did an anti-Melbourne Cup one this year. So they're often promoting other uh, social justice issues, um, yeah, Indigenous rights or workers' rights, etc. And it definitely logically makes sense. But for them to cover animals in the Melbourne Cup, as well as other issues which you've already raised in the show today in terms of uh, spikes of domestic violence mm-hmm. around the Melbourne Cup and other human social justice issues, uh, glorification of alcohol abuse, these mm-hmm. kind of issues and these human issues, but also bringing in the animals as well. So I think these connections that have been made um, within left-wing spaces, including online, um, yeah, again, a really positive development. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I think most of our listeners would know why this industry is so cruel. Um, but can you talk to us about why it's cruel? What are the practices that people are opposing? Yeah, so I think there's there, there's so many issues there. But, um, yeah, basically one of the key issues is that they're uh, breeding horses to be the fastest racers. So mm-hmm. they're breeding many, many horses to try and get, you know, the fastest one. And what that means is there's a lot of um, surplus horses, which leads to this issue of what they call in the industry wastage, where we have horses who might not make it to the track at all because they might not have the right temperament, they might not be fast mm-hmm. enough, whatever, so horses don't reach the track at all. Uh, we also see horses who are injured and killed during the race itself. Uh, and then because they're breeding so many horses, that there are all these horses left over. And, yeah, as we saw on the 7.30 report, um, some of them end up in slaughterhouses, mm-hmm. for example. And I have been um, speaking on this issue before on the radio and up against a jockey on this issue. Oh. And what they like to do is they like to talk about one specific horse. So this horse, you know, they race, they went about their, their you know, career I guess uh, and then at the end they, they retired and they lived out their life on this paddock or whatever and so they like to point to specific examples so I'm certainly not claiming no horses you know have that situation but mm. they can point to specific ample, examples like that but the, the, the reality is many don't and many end up in their slaughterhouses so that there, there are the slaughterhouses there's, there's also um, yeah, the recent 7.30 footage uh, basically showed horses being mistreated prior to slaughter. Mm. Um, but also, I think that there's issues like that is a part of the puzzle, but then there's also the slaughter itself, uh, basically killed for the crime of not being profitable enough for these industries, but also racing themselves. They like to compare them to athletes like uh, Dustin Martin or mm. um, Joanna Hope or whoever your favourite football player is. <coughs> so, sorry. Um, yeah, compare them to like human athletes but it's very different and and speaking of connections to other issues I think feminist notions of consent are really uh, valid Mm. here in terms of thinking um, human athletes play sport and they take a risk of injury but horses have no notion of consent so they're risking themselves injuries, um, deaths of when they injure, they often got shot in the track and they're not at all consenting to that unlike human athletes so I think that's something that the industry tries to promote but I think it's a very uh, flawed argument Mm. For listeners tuning in we're talking to Nick from Freedom of Species, a wonderful program on 3CR about the horse racing industry and why you should say nup to the cup, which is a hashtag on Twitter. People. <laughs> Number one <laughs> trending last night. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and I was talking to someone yesterday and they were talking about, you know, a lot of people are very, like, obviously vocal about saying no to the to the cup and, you know, the, the horse racing industry, but are still uh, quite avid consumers of 
meat or, mm. you know, um, buying products leather or you know that mm. sort of consumption mm-hmm. and there's this sort of cognitive dissonance about where meat comes from um and that's okay you know certain animals are okay for eating for example mm-hmm. but certain animals shouldn't be raised like horses mm-hmm. um and i'm interested to hear your thoughts about that sort of how people can justify it and why they justify it and how can we break that uh, thinking down. Yeah, I guess for the, for myself, I am vegan and I oppose the Melbourne Cup and they're very much related for mm. me. Again, I think there are a lot of parallels between boycotting the Melbourne Cup and boycotting other industries that have similar issues. So uh, a, a, an example, a couple of examples that come to mind for me is one reason I oppose the horse racing industry is that once the horses are no longer profitable, they're slaughtered because they're not useful to the, this industry. So from their point of view, why keep them alive and feed them water and food and all those kind of things but um, yeah I oppose the egg and dairy and boycott those industries for the very similar reasons in that the um, like the male males in these industries can't produce the desired products of egg and dairy so they're killed very soon after birth because they can't you know profit these industries uh, and the females once they're no longer um, producing these products they're slaughtered as well so it's that same um, mindset of you know either they're profitable and Mm -hmm. as soon as they're no longer profitable they're going to be slaughtered so again I think for those opposing the Melbourne Cup which is really positive I think you can think of parallels to um, yeah to other industries as well and I guess also thinking about the way in which you know opposition to horses being slaughtered and used for meat these kind of things as well I think um yeah, I, I'm a sociologist, so I often think about these like social constructions, and I guess this idea we we place certain animals in the food category mm. um, quite arbitrarily, not based on like levels of like sentience, ability to feel those kind of things, but just because that's the society we're born into, and different societies sort of put different animals in, in these categories. And I think um, why seeing horses in slaughterhouses can be so jarring is because uh, I guess we, in inverted commas, like many people in Australia, uh, don't sort of put horses in the food category mm. um, but they're exported to many European countries who, who do and, and feel differently um, but yeah we just place other animals within this food category so I guess it's an, another way to sort of go down that road is to think about this sort of arbitrary, arbitrary constructions why do we put horses in that that not food category then we put cows and pigs in the in the food category for example mm. yeah that's really interesting um, yeah that's really interesting that uh, when you when you talked about um, horses being food in other countries as well. And um, recently when reports came out about dogs being eaten in certain Asian countries, there was all this uproar. And really, what's the difference between eating chicken or beef here and, you know, dogs somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's another, speaking of that, that idea of intersectionality, I think those campaigns are quite problematic, particularly when they're mm. led by Western groups in that they, they feed into racist attitudes that the um, exploitation of other animals in non-Western countries is somehow exceptional or, or different or worse than what's happening here, which I think is absolutely incorrect. Mm. Uh, and I think it also reinforces our own consumption of other animals here in, in countries like Australia because the real problem is people in China eating dogs rather than um, people mm. in Melbourne eating mm. pigs, which I view as equally um, harmful or yeah. E- equally, um, yeah, um, it's, it's no less, there's no worse to eat dogs, uh, in my opinion, and definitely based around, again, the science and the sentience of those animals. Yeah, and um, I think we might have to wrap up soon, but I yep. also want to hear your thoughts about the links between animal liberation and environmental activism. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's coming up a lot 
these days. Yeah. 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 So I think that there's, there's so many links. I think when we have, um, discussions around the environment, often they're very human centered. Mm-hmm. So let's protect the environment because I want my grandchildren to carry on living, those kind of things, which is a totally valid perspective. But if we purely stick within that, it is a very sort of human centric way of viewing the environment. So the environment is sort of instrumental. It's useful for us, but it doesn't have value in its own right. But I think we can also look at environmental issues as affecting other animals as well, not even just species, but even individuals who can be harmed by climate change, just as we have individual humans harmed by climate change as well. And also on the flip side, we've spoken about some of the sort of animal rights issues with eating animals, whether it's horses or or pigs or cows or whatever. But um, yeah, also eating animals has a big environmental impact Mm -hmm. as well. So I think there's, um, yeah, good reasons to... um, yeah, go vegan for um, environmental reasons as well. And also I think I'd like to see a broader discussion in environmental movements, not just about individuals going vegan, but just as animal agriculture as an important environmental issue, just as we discuss uh, fossil fuels as an important environmental issue. They're all part of the puzzle. And I think uh, there's often a lack of focus on animal agriculture when we're talking about environment, even though it does have a significant impact. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Thank you so much for coming in today, Nick. No worries. Um, and just how can listeners uh, listen to your show again? So you, we are one till two every Sunday, and you can find us at all our shows at freedomofspecies.org as well. And just before I go, you can check out horseracingkills.com for more information. And today there is an event, Fashions on the Field. You can look that up, F-A-S-H-U-N-S, Fashions on the Field. That's 10 till 6 today at Newmarket Reserve. And it's all about, like, dressing up and having a fun, like, silly day out next to the race races and people, like, dress up as horses and some of them have races around so sort of like a protest but very sort of creative fun protest like we can have this fun silly day out and have human races without exploiting animals and vegan food and all that kind of stuff so check that out there's so many other anti-melbourne cup events on today as well beautiful thank you so much for all that information no worries thank you CR are selling kofia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, the time is 7.57. We just heard an interview from um, Nick from uh, Freedom of Species speaking about the Melbourne Cup and its intersection with, um, or protesting against the Melbourne Cup and its intersection with veganism, feminism, environmental activism, the left movement, all of that. So really, really important. And if you 
want to do something this public holiday, pop down to Flemington Racecourse and make your voice known. Coming up now, we have an interview with uh, Pilar from Compatada Balable speaking about Chile. Hi, my name is Pilar Aguilera and I was born in Chile. I've lived here for most of my life. My family left Chile escaping the Pinochet dictatorship in the 70s. Um, so we're here as a direct result of a political conflict. Um, I've been a part of 3CR radio now probably, I don't know how many years it is, my maths is terrible, but since I was 17, I used to translate um, for a Salvadorian uh, activist program and I would read their news in English. That's how I kind of started here. But before that, my family would listen to 3CR in the late 70s um, because 3CR had a lot of Chilean programs and that's how we received news from Chile back in the days pre-smartphones and internet. So 3CR has always been a key part of my life. Um, so then I started um, broadcasting here. I've done brekkie radio, um, actually on Thursday breakfast. And then I've participated in different programs over the years. I've taken breaks over the years. Now my program is Completada Bailable on Wednesdays at 6.30. And I do that with four other women. I'm also the current chairperson of 3CR, which is quite a big responsibility mm. and quite an honour, actually. So that's about me. And also, I have to say, I'm an activist. So anyone that's been watching the TV, reading newspapers, listening to the radio, we've seen um, a mass wave of protests in Chile, and people think that it was a fair hike on subway fares. But I'm guessing the issue has been brewing for a while. Yes. I mean, as you correctly said, um, this all started the week before the 18th of October, just gone. Um, there was an increase of 30 pesos in the subway fares. Now, just to put that into context, that's about five cents in Australia. Doesn't seem like much, but it is a lot when you've got very low wages. And most people use the subway in Chile, the train networks. So um, most people travel from the outer suburbs to get into Santiago, into the inner suburbs. And so it's not just students, it's mostly workers that use the trains and everyday people. I'm not going to say poor people because it's everyday people. Everybody uses the subways. Um, so it started off as this rise in fares and what the students did as a protest was a mass campaign of fare evasion. So there's all these images of them jumping the turnstiles. What the government then did in response was um, send the police to violently repress them for fair evasion and they used that. They said that the students were criminals for fair evading. And then what happened was this... I guess, great thing that happened that because the police were repressing and using extreme violence on students for fair evasion, so they were doing things like um, throwing tear gas canisters into the train carriages and then closing the doors. And that, doesn't, that means that you're not just targeting the people who protest, in inverted commas, you're targeting everyone who's on a train. So that includes old people, young people, children, babies, mothers, Everyone, anyone. 
Um, and so what people did was come out in defence of the students. So that campaign that started as a mass fare evasion and the government dubbing them as criminals mm. um, became uh, the scene of much wider protest. So something that began with students was joined by every every person. So on Saturday, it culminated in over a million people on the streets of Santiago. Now, that's a lot of people on the streets. And if you Google it, uh, have these amazing images of mass amounts of people just on the streets. And that's everybody. Mm. So the president called a state of emergency um, after the students protested. But then recently he lifted that protest, sorry, state of emergency. Correct. So that's still happening. Why do you think people are still continuing to protest? Because nothing's changed. And the, the slogans are, we, the, we, Chile despertó, which means Chile has woken up, Chile has awakened. Um, and although he lifted that, one of the things that's gone hand in hand with these mass protre- protests is incredible use of unmitigated violence against people. So these levels of violence by the armed forces. So when he um, brought in the state of emergency, which was October 19, he brought in the army. So there were tanks, army tanks on the streets that hadn't been seen since the dictatorship era 30 years before. And um, heavy-handed use of violence to date, um, officially, I think there are about 20 dead officially, but um, that's what the official, you know, count is. But we know that it's more like 40 or 50 deaths. Now, that's deaths. There's been people disappeared, um, random arrests of people in their houses, um, young activists, old activists, anyone be- being arrested, tortured, mm-hmm. It's And when I say tortured, I don't say that lightly. So people are being killed and hurt. Mm-hmm. The, the equivalent of the AMA, which is the, legal, the medical association, um, put out a statement saying, please stop this violence because they're using rubber bullets that are rubber on the outside, metal on the inside. The um, numbers of people that have lost their eye or will be blind for life have been dramatically, like they've never seen anything like it. And their services to treat people who are injured have just been completely overloaded. So, um, yeah, aside from that is this violence. And the president said, um, you know, the day that... um, I think it was the day that he called on October 20, he said, he came on TV and said, we are at war with this enemy who will do anything to incite violence. And he's talking about the majority of Chileans. So he's he said, you know, we're at war, echoing the words of the then uh, dictator Pinochet, who said in 86, we are at war. Yeah. And so Chilean slogans um, have been, we are not at war. And also, the media have been covering this in a very one-sided way. So the TV images have been showing things like lootings and, um, you know, properties on fire when what's happening when people are filming with their phones is often those things are being done by the police themselves. And so one of the other main slogans has been turn off the TV and just look outside your door.
Mm, it's an amazing slogan. And finally, what's next for the Chilean people? Um, the violence continues. Sadly, although the, the state of emergency has been lifted, the violence continues. We know that Amnesty International was there today. They've started an investigation into all the different um, abuses, the human rights violations that are currently going on, on by, by the military and the police. Um, the United Nations was supposed to send a team there on Monday. They haven't. Um, the people who are organised and protesting are requesting demands like a change in the constitution, uh, a change in laws, um, and uh, you know, a decrease in the cost of living, etc., etc. How that plays out, I don't know, because as I said, and it's important to say that this is a protest. These are protests against social, basic social inequality and now human rights abuses. It's evolving and um, it'll keep happening for, for a little while at least. Um, and it's incredibly sad, but it, there's also hope because people are together, people are united, and there's been all these lovely expressions of people saying things like, we got to meet all our neighbours or... Um, because the, a lot of the supermarkets shut down, people are now buying in in their local area and little markets and finding alternative ways to do things at a community grassroots level, and that's never a bad thing. Thank you so much for coming on Tuesday Breakfast Pillar. Thank you, Ian. Imagine smoking weed in the street without cops harassing. Imagine going to court with no trial. Lifestyle cruising blue behind the waters. No welfare supporters. More conscious of the way we raise our daughters. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. That was, um, you just heard Pilar from Completada Bailable speaking to Ayan about her life in Chile and her work with, or about being Chilean and her work with 3CR. Um, Coming up next, we have some audio from the speeches at Blockade IMARC that took place last week on Tuesday. So it was the first big day of speeches and of protests. It was actually um, the first day where the police were quite aggressive and violent, but on the day following, it was it was even more significant. So this is a really interesting touch on the point of the protest when it was just starting to pick up and just starting to get rather intense. So right now we are going to hear from Lydia Thorpe, who um, gave the introductory speech. She was using a megaphone, so the audio is rather um, raw. Uh, so it's going to really feel like like you were there, I suppose. Yeah, so just stick with it. Maybe turn your volume up if you're in the car, but hopefully you can get the, the main points of what's being said. Yeah.
Queensland High or whatever on, on protests, um, you know, for public housing, for Aboriginal rights, for human rights in this country. Um, and it's great that she's been able to come down here today. So, yeah, please say good day to Lydia when she says a few words.
QR code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code. And follow us on Facebook at QR code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR, and the time is 8.16am. That was, uh, previously you heard the opening speech to um, Tuesday's blockade IMARC, and it was Lydia Thorpe speaking extremely, extremely powerfully, and I think quite, what's the word, ominously, presciently, I suppose, calling to the police not to be violent um, before a couple of days of really quite interesting behavior i suppose coming up next we have an interview that we recorded with jerome small who is the one of the organizers of blockade imark you would have heard him at the beginning before lydia's speech introducing her he was there throughout all of the days coordinating and introducing people and we managed to grab him for an interview right after the first set of speeches Mm. Um, and it was really, really powerful because he's been an activist for quite a few years. He was at, he'll be speaking about this, but he was at S11. He, um, was a really big part of the activist movement. And there's a moment in this interview where at the very, very beginning where there's a pause and it's, it's, it's quiet for a while. And you're going to think what's, what's going on? There's a bit of dead air. What actually happened was it was right after I asked him how he think it went, how he thought it went. And this, you know, older man who'd been running this thing, very put together, very, you know, controlled person, burst into tears, absolutely broke down into tears and had to walk away. And that's 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 that pause that you hear. So this is Jerome Smalls. I'm talking to Jerome Small, who is one of the organisers of Blockade IMARC. Hi, Jerome. Hey, how's it going? And hi to everyone at 3CR. So the protest has just concluded its set of speeches. You were leading those speeches. Um, well, let's begin by first uh, asking, uh, what is your involvement in Blockade IMARC? Uh, I think I've been to every organising meeting, so there's been a group, a pretty large group actually, like a, you know, more than a dozen different uh, organisations came together to form a coalition to Blockade IMARC. We've had, well, I don't know, eight or nine or ten different organising meetings, between 60 and 80 at each of them. Um, so yeah, I'm one of the organisers and yeah. The morning of protest has just concluded and now there are still people milling around but, um, and, and we'll be staying here for the duration of the day but the main set of protests has, fi- has finished and it concluded with a set of very powerful speeches. How do you think it went? I think it went really well. Lucky <laughs> yeah. it's radio. I think it went really well. Um, it's pretty ambitious to say that you're going to barricade, some, blockade some of the most powerful people on the planet out of one of their most important conferences of the year. We managed to do that. Um, we managed to keep in good spirit. We managed to do what we said we would do, which is link our arms, raise our voices, move around, and, and, and say to these climate criminals, say to these stealers of Indigenous land, say to these companies of trash workers' rights, business as usual is over. You know? Um, I guess... A big part of the thought that I had was, um, and I know a lot of people in the coalition had, was just the urgency of the climate situation. Um, 
we really need a civil disobedience wing to that movement. Um, and so I suppose I see Extinction Rebellion in its own way and then this action as being a pretty bold uh, gamble, really, just to say, OK, let's put everything we've got on the table and let's just see what we can do in terms of, you know, arms link, shut it down, sort of solidarity activity. Um, and for, like, I have no idea of the numbers here. Like, if someone told me a 1,000, I, I wouldn't disagree. Maybe it's more, maybe it's less, I really don't know. But we don't have a whole lot of civil disobedience happening at the moment in Australia, so to sort of conjure this up out of the... There's a lot of sentiment around climate change, but it's a big leap to say, yes, civil disobedience is, is good, and then it's another leap from there to say, OK, it's not just good good on you, you keep doing it, but, oh, holy hell, I'm going to get up at 4.30 in the morning, get myself to a place at 6.00. So to, to have the effect that we have obviously had, just judging from the number of pissed off people in suave suits, you know, like walking around unable to get into their conference, um, I just think it's great. Speaking of civil disobedience, we heard from a legal observer who says that um, some long-time activists think this might be the most excessive use of police, police violence and intervention since S11. What do you think about that? It's probably a big call, um, and there's, I mean, in protest situations, because I know, like, obviously there's people that just cop it from the cops, if you're young and you're black, and, you know, you just cop it in a way that isn't even documented, it's out of sight, out of mind, so I don't want to put this experience alongside that, I suppose, but in terms of, of, of protest activity, I think there's been a general tightening up over the years. Um, I think the event is not over yet. If you I was at S11, and on day one, I mean, there, we had 10,000, 20,000, I don't know how many thousand people we had shutting down this meeting of the World Economic Forum. That was day one, which we all remember and we all feel great about because it was, you know, it really changed the political landscape in this town. Day two, the cops were just straight out, out for revenge, and they were brutal on that day. So there's certainly large numbers here. They've certainly, you know, like, I've, anyway, I got tackled by... <laughs> this wall of coppers when I was trying to coordinate things through a megaphone. Um, it's been pretty full on, um, and I just basically, like, I don't know, like, I find that sort of stuff hard to judge. What I really do want to say on that is just giving credit to everyone that stuck at it. There's been a bunch of people arrested, there's been a bunch of people uh, thrown around, a bunch of people pushed around, a bunch of people sprayed. Uh, you know, one person had to get stretched off. I hope that they're all right. Um, and people have just stuck at it, and, we've, and the messages come through loud and clear. We refuse to be intimidated by this stuff, so, um, and we can't afford to be if we're going to have the sort of changes that we need, you know, the multiple crises that we face. There was a call for this during this blockade for peaceful protesting. Do you think that that was achieved? Yeah, from what I saw, what, what I was asking people to do and what overwhelmingly I saw people do was... Um, People linking arms, raising our voices and moving around. Um, I don't know, like I can't rule... I mean, things got heated between individuals, but I think that's within the parameters of a non-violent civil disobedience action. You look at what happened at S11, it was a pretty rowdy protest at times, but, there, you know, it wasn't us getting the battens out and getting the spray out and getting on horses and trampling on people. So, no, we're definitely the non-violent ones here, and our strength is solidarity in our numbers, and we had that today. One last question. You said there's going to be you know, a, a protest culminating on Thursday. Following this week, what's, what are the next steps, do you think? 
That's a great question, and I wish I had a great answer to it. I, I saw that Greta Thunberg has, uh, has called for another day of worldwide protest on November 29, so that's great. I really hope that people jump on that and build the heck out of it. In terms of actual civil disobedience, I'm not sure. Like, I think, um, like, let's, let's get through this week, but, um, you know, I, I think it's not just watch this space, it's like get in touch and let's talk about what we can do. Jump on the Blockade IMARC Alliance uh, page or just search for Facebook, Blockade IMARC, and see what we're doing. We're having a, a major debrief in a couple of weeks' time and I'm pretty sure one agenda item on that is not just going through what we did right, what we did wrong, you know, how we could adjust it, but also... Um, yeah, what comes out of this? Because this can't be the end of civil disobedience. And a bunch of the speakers, the Chileans, a bunch of the speakers were saying, you know, no one is just going to sit around for another year and wait for this conference to happen again. Maybe we want to target it again. I certainly support that. But we've got to be looking for ways to draw more people into the ongoing civil disobedience and build that part of the movement. So do you think the tide might be turning a little bit in terms of people moving more towards active engagement in politics? Yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, I do, which is, which is great, yeah. Like, I think um, in a pretty bleak world political landscape, seeing what Greta Thunberg and some, you know, in their own way Extinction Rebellion have done over the last year, they've changed the discussion about the climate emergency from three-minute showers and hope for the best to we need radical mass action and we need it now. And I think it'll take a while for that to filter through into the living, breathing, Lincoln Arms reality of a civil disobedience movement that can really start to shake things up. Um, and even that's going to be one step, you know. But I just, like, I, I, really, I really feel like we're at least pointing in the right direction and taking some tentative steps and rediscovering strength that we didn't know that we had. And it's just so great to be part of. So great to see 3CR down here all week. Um, and, yeah, just encourage your listeners to get on down for the next couple of days of the protest. If the protest is over by the time you're hearing this, well, yeah, get involved in the next one because it was a really strong experience for everyone here, I reckon. Jerome Small, thank you so much. Thank you. So you were just listening to Jerome Smalls, the organiser, uh, one of the organisers of Blockade, IMARC, speaking on Tuesday on the first day of protests. I just want to say, just really interestingly, he spoke about S11 and being at S11 in 1999 and the fact that the first day was quite peaceful, but the next day, the, the, he said in his own words, the cops were out for revenge. And I think that was quite prescient to be on Tuesday and on the Wednesday following. That was a really quite... Um, dramatic day of police intervention so that was quite interesting to hear thanks Oya. so up next i want to play this track from chai and it's called south and thanks to zaina before suggesting this one you told me that rapping is handsome gotta have passion gotta have sassman gotta be g with a little bit of fashion i be on stage and i'm making it happen you told me that rapping is handsome gotta have passion gotta have sassman gotta be g with a little bit of fashion i be on stage and i'm making it happen look in the center, make you get up, wanna adventure. Give you reason, maybe a bender. Dance all night till the sun wanna enter. Me skinny, but my rhyme's so fatty. Ask who I be, I won't say nothing. You got to be fooling me, kidding. And I don't wanna be babysitting. No main conversation, just so you're having a good time. Me, no care. Me, no, me, no, 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 we just chilling no. out here. What do we dance or make our way to the mic? Tap a beat, make you like what you see, what you want, what you hear. Make you yell from your chair, make you clap, make you stare, make you move over there. I'm making it happen. He told me that rapping is handsome, but I have passion. 
You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. George, what was that song? Uh, it's by Chai and it's called South. It's really, really, really good. That was a great song. Great yeah. way to end the show. Yeah. So. Who recommended the song? Zainab. Oh, cool. Thanks, Zainab. Thank you so much, Zainab. That was, that was really, really lovely. Um, so... That was, that's the end of our show. We had a great themed show basically today, all about protesting. We had a really great discussion about the Melbourne Cup. We had Nick from Freedom of Species on to talk about the Melbourne Cup. We also had a, an interview with Pilar from Coblatar de Barable, speaking about Chile and the protests and all of that. And then we heard some fantastic audio from Tuesday's Blockade IMARC. And that's it. Up next, we have... Accent of Women. Women. Ayan, what's the show, show yeah. about? Yeah, so Accent of Woman, um, I did an interview with um, Tasneem Samak and Irene Watson, and they're taking part of this conference that's going on for three days, starting from Wednesday, and it's called the Black Palestinian Solidarity Conference, where it's just a group of thinkers, academics, um, community activists all coming together to figure out how to, um, yeah, topple this, topple the colonized not colonized, but couple the set, settled states. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for tuning in. And next week, 7 to 8.30, Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Bye-bye.